welcome back to another episode of Behind the Lens. Hard to believe we are at the end of September 2017, but yes, we are. And there's Pam shaking her head and grimacing in the in the booth. Um, <coughs> welcome. I am film critic Debbie Elias. You can find my movie reviews and interviews 24-7 uh, in print and online, including BehindTheLensOnline.net. But every Monday, you can find me right here at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Adrenaline Radio. And I am so excited today. Two of my favorite guys are here. <laughs> I have the wonderful writer, director, actor, musician Luke Sabus is back. Uh, and, you, of course, Charles Gargano, his partner in crime. Hello. Thank you. Thank you for this having is, us. This is so fun. The last time you guys were here, your film, your first venture, Missing Child, was on the festival circuit. Right. Your yeah, short man. your short film, Ghost Tenant, was out there on the fest circuit. Right. We were doing a screening. Actually, yeah, we were doing a, a, a short theatrical run. Yeah. With uh, Lem Lee and Yeah, of Ghost yeah. Tenant. Yeah. yeah. Because I moderated your Q and A over, I did. <laughs> certainly did. And uh, then, but now, here it is, folks. Here it is. Missing Child <laughs> is out on DVD and Blu-ray, and and, and on Amazon, and on Amazon. Uh, to stream on Amazon. Only Amazon. We didn't go at, Hulu, iTunes, all of that. At the moment, just Amazon. Okay. Yep. But all also right. on Amazon, it's also available as a web series. You, yes, it's a new thing. We, you can watch it as the full feature or as an eight-part web series. If you know you don't have that much time each day to watch a movie, you know, Ooh. if you have 10, 11 minutes, you can watch an episode of uh, Missing Child. It's, oh, it's my eight, God. eight episodes in, in all. Okay, see, now, having seen the film, I now have to go and see how <laughs> you have broken it out to serialize it. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, that, that fascinates me. Cool. It's it's on Amazon Prime, and actually, it doesn't cost anything on Amazon Prime. You might get some commercials or something in there, depending on on uh, well, if you're an Amazon Prime member or not. But it's it's free on Amazon. Oh so. well, free. Everybody knows <laughs> that is one of my favorite words. Price is right. is, free. is free. But you know, in addition to these two handsome gentlemen, we also have another guest calling in at the at the midway point of the show, Kelly Smoot Garrett. You. Several weeks ago, when Janice Rouse was here, we you heard us start talking about Princess April Morning Glory, written by Letitia Fairbanks. Now, all you classic film fans out there know exactly who Letitia is. She is Douglas Fairbanks' niece. And Kelly is Letitia's stepdaughter. So, this book was all hand-done. It's illuminated <clears throat> calligraphy. Every illustration, every panel, every page was done, painstakingly done by Letitia. It took several years to do. Uh, it is finally in book form. Uh, although I have to say, as I've said before, I saw the original illustrations, and these are full you know, three-foot-plus pages, each page of the book, hand-done by Letitia. Yeah, it's yeah. Luke's here trying to vision. <laughs> okay, three feet. Three feet is theoretically your arm's length. Mm, right. And you figure that's each page is done that way, and each page is outlined in gold leaf, and it's stunning. And Kelly is going to be here to talk about this and how everybody can find this gorgeous, gorgeous book. Of course, I I want the original illustration panels, <laughs> but you know. <laughs> 
what can we say? Someday. But, uh, you know, the, the journey, Letitia's journey in creating the book, The Fairbanks Legends and Stories, because, of course, Douglas Fairbanks was married to Mary Pickford. Right. So, you know, and as Kelly will explain, there are a lot of fun illustrations. And Luke and Charles were looking through the book mm-hmm. earlier. Right. Very, very nice, nicely done. I mean, it's, it's really well, well put together. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. to hear the backstory of everything is so fascinating. But, you know, equally fascinating is your journey on not only making Missing Child but and getting it on the fest circuit, but you have yourself distributing. Right. So yeah. I'm hoping Luke will have some pearls of wisdom in our mm-hmm. conversation today for all you filmmakers out there. I know several of you. Kevin Good, I am thinking of you. Um, with self-distribution uh, for Dinner with the Alchemist. Uh, so if you're listening, and I know you do listen, maybe not live, but I know you listen to the podcast, mm-hmm. maybe you will get some pearls of wisdom from Luke. But this is an interesting journey and one that, as I mentioned before the show, I am seeing more and more filmmakers I'm running into. And because of limitations on these indie films... They're now and waiting so long to try and get a semi-attractive distribution deal without giving up their rights to their property. Um, self-distribution is becoming more of a thing. Right. I mean, there's there's just so many more options. I mean, um, you know, nowadays there's a lot more that you can do by yourself. And it's nice to kind of keep some of the control of the film because the problem in traditional distribution, you're handing it over to somebody and then you kind of you kind of at their mercy <laughs> to mm-hmm. a certain degree and there were there were some distributors i spoke to as far as you know uh we consi- we considered going a traditional route but it uh just did not seem appealing enough or there weren't enough incentives to really continue that way i wanted to take the shot and see what's out there cuz like i said there's so many options now mm-hmm. to you know for the filmmakers the producers of a film to actually get out there and and have some control over what you do and how you put it out there. So yeah. that was well. I'm sure a that a, a distributor wouldn't would not have said, "Oh, let's break this into right. an, an eight series web series." <laughs> or, or maybe they would have, and it would have annoyed me. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's probably more likely. <laughs> well, now you know, Charles, tell tell the audience for those that were not here for your visit two years ago. Okay. You know, or who have not seen Missing Child as yet, which you can get on Blu-ray, DVD, and on Amazon. Uh, free. Absolutely. I'm just reminding people. The web series. But you can buy. The web series. <laughs> but you can buy the DVD Indeed. and the Blu-ray. That's right. So tell people what this story, Missing Child, is about. Well, I think it's about a young girl who was lost, and she uh, was in orphanages and lost along the way, and then she runs across this gentleman that she hooks up with and they think they might find her father her real father and that's what she's i think she's a young girl in search of her her past and her you know who she is and they go to meet this man henry at his home in uh, the outskirts of wherever the city and uh, that's where the story takes place after you know they go there so i think it's about a young lady who's looking for her looking for some answers about her life. And I think that's what it is. And she finds them, some of them. Not some maybe of not them. all of them, but it's, uh, 
There's a lot of twists and turns in the story, so you have to watch the movie or watch the story to really there, appreciate it. There are many twists and turns, and Luke, you wrote it, you directed it, and you co-wrote, yeah. co-wrote you played the boyfriend. Well, you co-wrote with Michael Barbuto. Yeah. You play, you know, and the wonderful Kristen Rulin plays our our lovely Gia, Gia yes. and you play the Joe Fallon, possibly the... unsavory boyfriend. Yes. And Charles plays Henry that, Henry? Uh, I'm sorry, I can't get beyond Dirty Old Man. I, I'm sorry. I mean, what? he's not really. He can hear you. He's like, <laughs> I'm sitting right here, you know. He's not really a dirty old man. He's no. a man, he's yeah. looking for answers himself, you know. But, but he, has, he has, he has, Henry has a creepy vibe to him. Yeah. A very yeah, creepy absolutely. vibe. You know, you know, a lot the characters in general do have a dark side. All the characters do. I mean, that's it's something. It's it's not really typical on films that are being released, say in the ma- mainstream Hollywood films. It's it's an indie film, and we went you know all out as far as that. As far as you mm-hmm. know, the characters that are not necessarily likable, they all have qualities that kind of make you you know question whether <laughs> whether you want to get on board with their journey in in some ways. Yeah. And that's kind of I, I wanted to. You know, face that challenge. I didn't mm. want you to like them just because, oh, they're wonderful, great people, but because, well, they're they're human beings, and you still want to care about them, even if they're not necessarily the yeah, nicest they all, people. Yeah, they but, all have a deep, dark past of some kind. You know, like Gia. Of course, Henry has this deep, dark past, and Joe's a man that's you know whatever. So. He's got a deep, dark present. <laughs> He's got a deep, dark present. <laughs> Actually, in the story, my my character Joe, yeah, he is probably the most present. The character yeah. of Gia right, and right. Henry are kind of tormented in their past mm-hmm. and trying to deal with it in the present, trying to deal with what they've all been mm-hmm. through. Where Joe has, he, he's somewhat of an opportunist. Yes. <laughs> and he's just, he's in the present trying yeah. to... Look out for his future. <laughs> Look out for his future. <laughs> absolutely right. Yeah, that's what Joe's that's doing. That's kind of what he's doing and under the guise of looking out for other people's future. But, yeah. uh, but it's, it's those darker qualities that is what makes this film so intriguing. Mm-hmm. Because it's not cut and paste. Right. It's not paint no. by the numbers. Absolutely not. And it's those dark colors that you bring to light that is what make each of these characters so interesting. Right. I, I mean, it is, it is a, I've always thought, I've mentioned this earlier to you, it's, it's, it's a journey, I consider it a journey into darkness. And, mm-hmm. you know, we were talking before the show about color correction and so on. <laughs> and actually, in, yeah. in the film... As the film progresses, it does literally get darker. I mean, we go deeper mm-hmm. into, into the night, yep. but also, if if you paid attention, you actually you'll see the tone of the of the mm-hmm. image getting darker and darker as we go. But it doesn't end there. You know, no, it's, it's a journey into that, but it comes out of that. And you know, that was one of my big things when I first saw the film was that visual tone, the visual tonal bandwidth. And as we get into Henry's house, we get this more of a yellow pallor, right, right. like a sickly pallor. But then right. it, uh, on the flip side of that, you know, we have a beautiful, beautiful child's bedroom right. that is just the blues are absolutely gorgeous. You know, I they just sweep you away. And then the cinematography as the camera comes up into a corner shot of the room and you just see everything. It's just exquisitely done with some moonlight streaming right. in a window. Yeah, and yeah, we had Francisco Bulgarelli who did the cinematography, and it was in one of his earlier films. He's done a bunch of things since, but he he took a lot of time for that. It was really I was very happy to get you know he was very dedicated to it all and 
took the time to get the shots. Oh right, yeah, so I mean it's nice. just absolutely stunning. Right. You know that's one of my favorite parts in the film. Right. And I remember you mentioning that, yeah, especially yeah, yeah, that, the bedroom that, that scene. Yeah. Yes, because you don't expect that. Right. In a film of this nature, you don't expect to see that. Right. And you certainly don't expect to see this more ethereal, metaphorically ethereal shot coming in. Right. right. You know, overlooking this girl, almost like, a, you know, a mother. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think of it actually also, I mean, I will not want give, give away too much from the story. Right. But it is, um, you know, there is a, a, another character in this story, really, um, that I, I don't want to get too much into um, without giving it away, so I'll just stop. <laughs> okay. <laughs> About on yeah. that on that <laughs> that, that uh, yeah. front there. You know what um, is it that led you to? Because you have other you have other screenplays out there, yeah. and I don't know whether you're going to cast this guy in any of them. But I hope uh, so. Come on, <laughs> I need to work. Yes. Yes, you do, Charles. You I need do. to work. I need to make the money. Anyway. But you know what made. Missing Child, the one that was the first one to get made right. for your directorial debut. Right. It, it was kind of like a, a combination of things that kind of seemed, I think with any film, it's always tough to get a film made. You know, there's a lot of yeah. things that go into it, money and a lot of resources. And it's just when some things, a, a, a number of the things come together that just something clicks and says, okay, I could do it. I could see the end. This can happen. And one of them was having Charles that I said, okay, the, I I, Charles is perfect for the role, and that that's a big part of the film. I mean, he really is, in my mind, the the main character in the film. Um, him, him well, and Kristen um, between the two. Those those I see yeah. those as uh, two leads. And yeah, we'll that just fluff you to the side. <laughs> I'm alone uh, for the ride. Or, yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, it was it was kind of seeing just the idea that it could be done. It was mm-hmm. a, it was a film that takes you know it's an indie film. It takes place in. Um, you know, minimal locations. It's only you know, maybe two, three locations. Some stuff out in the road, but it was is all manageable, mm. and I could just see it with the money I knew I had access to that this could be done. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm curious. What was the bigger learning curve, directing mm. or self distributing? Wow. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually, when as soon as you said directing, I, I think you know, I think of producing a mm-hmm. lot of. Um, <laughs> you know, as much as I like to think of yeah, this as my directorial debut. But you were producing this, too. Well, you know, I had other pro- producers helping, um, Sebastian Rogers, who helped on the, on the producing. But also, but I did a lot of things with the producing afterwards, and that goes into the question on distribution yeah. now. Which did I learn more about? Well, the distribution is still going, as yeah. far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So that, 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 that learning curve is still going there. But um it's so many things involved in the directing. And, and like I said, it's probably as a producer, I learned a lot more because I think I was working more as a producer than a director, unfortunately. You know, that's, a, that's something, I guess, okay. That's oh, something. now, <laughs> the, the synapses yes. are connecting here. Yeah. Yeah, right. Something that I did learn is I, I'd like to get a producer <laughs> <laughs> because I would like to be more of a director. And I think if I had, you know, maybe more more um, help with the, on the production side, producing side, I could kind of concentrate on the mm-hmm. directing. Because unfortunately, a lot of it goes into the production is really everything, especially with an indie film. Right. You just don't have the time to sit back and do the, you know, more of the directorial work. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, hopefully next one will be better, more. So, you know, Charles, because right. you've now done a couple films with this man. You've right, done right. Ghost Tenant right. and Missing Child. Exactly. 
what is it because and I'm hoping that you that you're not going to say that oh well it doesn't matter what he writes I'll do it right. um, that it has to be good so what is it about Luke's projects about his scripts that well, attract you to the characters well first of all when I read Missing Child I just I said to Luke one day I said this is something you could win an Academy Award for I it's mean, a page turner it's a page turner for this I mean. Also, this character, Henry, I mean, it's just like, and luckily I won an award in Boston for it, an acting award. And I feel very good about that. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, I just want to throw that out there. Wasn't mm-hmm. that the first film festival? It was. Boston. It was. Yeah. Yeah. Boston yeah. International Boston Film Festival. International. That's when I, I reviewed it for the very first film festival. Right. 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 Yeah. And yeah. we won. I won. And Luke won some awards. And, I, and I, when I read the script, it was just like, I was just like, man, I got to do this. It was like, I, you know, I want to do this really bad. And then with Ghost Tenant, it's... Uh, it's such a it's a fun it's a it's a sad movie but it's a happy movie it's a it's a movie it's it's very uh, different in tone yeah different totally in tone, very. but it's so real you know people who when we all think about the end or whatever we don't want to go to that other side so we mm-hmm. want to stay here and I think with uh, Ned in this particular film I mean you know he wants to stay here and and we all want to stay here and it and it makes it interesting. So I, I, I love the story. I mean, oh, I, love the story. I love Ghost Tenant. Yeah. And you have some beautiful effects in there. Right, yeah, right. The, that's, that's actually the only place currently that's available is on the Blu-ray. Um, we'll probably be trying to get up on Amazon and elsewhere. But for now, it's just on the Blu-ray. And that's, okay, that's well. a short film. Um, but that is, it is, I consider it a prelude to the feature. Yeah. So I'm curious here. What do we have? Special features. We have mm. the theatrical trailer. Mm-hmm. We have, oh, subtitles in English, Spanish, French, and German. Right. Whoa. <laughs> and right. more. We are not kidding around. Okay, and yes. more. What is the and? Okay, okay, what is the and more? Well, the and more would include um, that that would be one of the main things is the ghost tenant uh Short film. Okay. Uh, we also have on the Blu-ray. <gasps> it, it's different with Blu-ray and a DVD because Blu-ray can. It, I'm reading the large, Blu-ray yes. box. Yes. They're, they're, the box cover is actually the same, same, but but the contents are slightly different. There's more on the Blu-ray. Get, you know, yeah, so, more. I, I want to know <laughs> um, the more. Uh-huh. What's the more? We have um, deleted scenes. We have three. <gasps> yeah. Ooh. <laughs> three deleted scenes from Missing Child. So um, and then we have we have I know there's a montage. Uh, um, a, a picture montage set to music of some sh- shots, photographs up from the film and also behind the scenes. And there's also a music video um, for the song that comes on during the credits. Uh, it's called Now I'm Going. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, we have a music video that's also on. That's on Ooh. both. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, and, and, now, and, and Luke brought me my own copy <laughs> today, right, so oh, right. I get to see them. Yeah, and um, also there is some backstories. It's kind of some fictitious background news articles on the original original abduction of Elizabeth Whittle, oh. the character of Henry Whittle's uh, missing daughter. Uh-huh. And that's, that's, that's actually on both the DVD and the Blu-ray. Oh, very that's, cool. That's quite, quite extensive. Right. That, that is. Okay, see, now I'm going to have to do a DVD, a Blu-ray review on the film. Yeah. Oh, man, you should. Yeah, yeah. Sure, that's yeah. good. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, well, now on this one, I will. You know, some... I, when people don't send me product, I don't do it. But, you know, if you send me or hand me product, I will actually do it. Um, but, yeah, I love. 
And I think any we're losing so much with indie with not a lot of extra content being put on. Right. Everybody thinks oh we can stream stuff. There is really something wonderful about having it all on the disc, yeah, yeah. and you can just go through it and you can jump. And it's like ooh three deleted scenes. Oh I want to see the third one right. first. Right. Or ooh I want to see the music video. Right. right. I love those options. You can based on your own mood, mm. based on your time. Right. Right. Yeah, that was that was kind of the, you know, I, I wondered, you know, I questioned, should I put out a DVD Blu-ray? Because obviously it's, you know, it's a dying medium. Not um, in my house. <laughs> no, 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 nor for me. But um, out there in the world, it does seem to be less of that going on. Mm-hmm. And, and just kind of what you were saying, it was sort of like a way of um, maybe bringing closure to the project, kind of ad- adding everything together. Mm-hmm. And just as just kind of keeping it self-contained and having a place to go, just maybe for us, if nowhere else. But hey. but you know, any if for an audience member, everything you were saying, it is a type of thing. It's all there if you yeah. want to get more into the film and behind the film and all. So, I mean, that's yeah. one of the great things. I think one of my favorite DVD slash Blu-ray, Baz Luhrmann's Moulin Rouge, because right. on there we have the option of changing 12 camera angles for certain of the musical numbers Uh Mm -hmm. so that you can actually get different perspectives. (laughs) And that, I mesmerized me. I actually, I think I actually wore wore out. I actually bought more copies. (laughs) I actually bought more copies because (laughs) I played it so much. Because I just find things like that extremely interesting. Right. And, you know, directors that do coverage shots, throw some of those coverage shots on there. Let your audience see what was driving your eye. Right. Right. It is all about how much you want to get involved in the story. You know, some some films you really want to get more deeply into. And and that provides some of that that if you want to do that. Because I find it frustrating sometimes if you get a a DVD and there isn't anything else other than it's like, oh, I feel a little gypped. (laughs) Yeah. No, I want something. I want more bang for my buck. Yeah. If I'm going to spend the money. Otherwise, I can just watch it, you know, on Spectrum on demand or right, something. Right, pay right, my three ninety nine right. or six ninety nine, right? And that's it. Because that's another thing. You don't get all those extras. Some right. people don't realize when you're paying on demand, you don't right. get any extras. Right. right. Yeah. You get the film, and that's right. all you get. Right. But once you get past the initial theatrical initial release. You want extras. Yeah, but also if you have the Blu-ray or the DVD, you always have it at home to watch. And you That's can watch right. it four months from now, and you don't, if it's not online anymore, then you don't, you know, so you can go back and watch it again. So, oh, yeah, I remember that film. I want to show it to so-and-so. And, yep. So and I want to know, Charles, yeah. how many times have you watched the Blu-ray? A <laughs> um, hundred? I don't know. I've watched it a lot. <laughs> have yeah. you watched all the extras? Yeah, but I've also watched. I've been watching. Okay, I've been watching the webisodes because I I love those. He just doesn't know what's going to happen next. I'm watching them, and you know, I'm doing my computer stuff, and I'm watching it. You know, whatever. Well, you know, it's fun. Oh, good. So when your computer stuff is screwed up, we know to blame Luke. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Or he's he's mesmerized by his own performance. That's right. Well, (laughs) as he should be. I am. Well, I mean, because you both, because Charles, you are an actor. Luke, you also act. Mm -hmm. There are some, there are some actors. They do not watch themselves. They do Um, not watch their performances. Right. Do you guys watch your performances? Do you like to watch your performances? Do you use them? to constructively 
instruct yourself about how to improve? I do, absolutely. I look at myself and I say, why, why did he, why did he do that? You know, maybe I should have, you know, it's just, was I into it enough there? You know, was I really, was I real enough? Was I, was I there at that moment in time? You know, was I really that person? Was I Henry, you know? Trust me, you were Henry. <laughs> thank you, yeah, thank it, you. So that's good. I like to think that. But I have other things I've seen myself in it. I said, oh my God. I don't want anybody to see this, you know. It's funny. From an acting point of view, I would belong to the former group of I don't watch. I don't – I would – no. I would just make sure it's there. (laughs) Okay. But as, you know, Missing Child is more like, say, director slash producer. So I watch it a lot. (laughs) And it's – as an actor, it was a lot – very helpful to me because I did learn a lot about my own – about my uh, my own performance just by seeing – I mean, watching yourself on camera is nothing like it. You really – because, you know, they say the camera, you know, you can't really fool anything. You can't fool the camera. Camera sees everything. Right. So it was very, very um, informative as far as that. See, I I hate watching myself on camera. I do not. I will fast – when I have to go over the edits of my show, yeah, I, I mean, don't it's, watch. It's, un- it's uncomfortable seeing yourself, yeah, just like yeah. hearing yourself. You know, if you're not used to it, it's kind right. of a weird thing. But exactly. again, if you're, you know, when you're actually making it, editing, you gotta look, <laughs> and you gotta get, you know, you gotta get down and dirty as far as what's working, right. and that's that's a good thing because again, it makes me more, you know, uh, watch more closely, seeing like why mm-hmm. does this work, why does it not work. So it's very very helpful, very helpful. Um, and but one thing I really enjoy, I still enjoy watching Charles and Kristen's performance. I really <laughs> thank do. You, thank you. Thank I do. You. I mean, yeah. I just because with the putting the web series together, it was I had to watch it a whole lot mm-hmm. <laughs> because we put like little trailers at the beginning well, at yeah. the end of each piece. Sure. So I'm looking at the footage a lot more than I would have mm-hmm. ever expected to, and I really like again looking at their performances. It was really. I, I I enjoy it. I can just sit back as a viewer, you know, not mm-hmm. a director or and anything, watch. and just watch and get kind of lost in the moment, and it's good stuff. <laughs> see, but now, see, now you have piqued my curiosity so much, I have to watch the web series uh, because I want to see where you mm-hmm. have cut, how you have broken okay. this into a series, because yeah. the film has such a great flow to it. All right, mm. right. I have to well, tell you, you, though, Debbie, he did a great job with well, putting it you, into the series. I mean, he really did, because I watch it the way it's uh, divided up, and it makes you want to, oh, i got to watch the rest of this. Mm-hmm. i got to watch the rest of this. You know, and he did a, i got to hand it to Luke, you know, not that I'm trying to, you know, whatever, but... Charles, we all job. we all know you want to ensure that you're in his next film. <laughs> we know this. That's right. You you got that right, Debbie. You got that right. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Write the check. Yeah. Uh huh. You gotta watch this here. Make sure you get the residuals first, so that you can write the check to him. That's right. So you'll you'll see what I mean when you watch it. So So what other wonderful projects have you been? Oh, well, I do want to ask you though about your sound design, Luke, because Mm. sound is so important, and more and more it is becoming extremely critical Mm. in films. Something that a lot of directors overlook. Uh, a new film that's out, Shot, starring Noah Wiley. Jeremy Kagan, who did The Chosen, uh, has done television for years. Mm. Jeremy wrote and direct, co-wrote and directed this one. Um, sound design, because mm. Noah plays a sound editor of all things. Oh, wow. He wow. gets shot. So he is on a gurney for the rest, almost the rest of the film. And it's in real time. That two-thirds of the film is in real time. Wow. And... So he is very limited, lying on a gurney. He's very limited as to the character can't see everything. So mm-hmm. it's very oh. sonically dependent. 
and you hear everything. You hear sirens. Mm. You hear voices. You hear footsteps. You hear what's going on around. And the attention to sound. Mm -hmm. And that's something with Missing Child. Mm -hmm. You pay attention. You you paid attention to your sound design here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We had a really good sound sound design, uh, sound, the head of the sound department. It was Tom Tom Marks. He's Mm -hmm. done a lot of stuff over at Warner Brothers and did a lot of things. Good background. Very, very dedicated to the project. And he did a great job. Um, it's one of those things. I do think it was really, you know, a lot of attention was spent. Sometimes I'm, you know, I feel like that's the kind of thing people don't pay attention to enough when they're watching things. You know, people are watching things on any kind of device nowadays and, and may not really get appreciate that sort of thing. But mm-hmm. I, that's something I, I'm, I'm very proud of, that that aspect of the film. And I, I hope people can kind of, you know, put themselves in a place mm-hmm. where they can appreciate it. Because it's, it's you know, that's the great thing about theater. You know, you go to a theater you get the full sound, the fat, you know, what, yeah. what's going on. And that's not necessarily the case when you're watching it at home. Right. It, you know, you can have that, but you have to kind of take that attention yourself to kind of mm-hmm. put yourself in the environment. Right. But it's, it's very important. Sounds very important. I'm, you know, my original background in performing arts is as a musician. So, so. that's kind of where I'm coming from. I, I appreciate the sound very much mm-hmm. and I like, you know what things are done with it, and and it's it's some great stuff going on nowadays because you know yeah. in in all, you know everything is of course advancing in you know the technology of filmmaking, but sound probably more than more than picture in a way mm-hmm. over the last like decade, couple of decades. Well, and I think I may have mentioned this to you bef- at some point in the past. You know, Avengers, the first Avengers movie, mm-hmm. that is something that to this day I don't care how many times I see that film, the sound design. Mm-hmm. I have issues with it. You cannot hear Scarlett Johansson's mm. dialogue mm-hmm. in some of the sequences right. because the mix is just not balanced. Right. Don't have dialogue if you're not going to hear it. Or if you have dialogue, have it be off camera so we don't know there's dialogue right. if right. we're not going to be able to hear it. Right. But, yeah, I love these full-bodied oral soundscapes now. Mm. It's like Paula Fairfield. I have to give Paula a shout-out. An incredible, incredible Sound designer, sound editor. She did the sound design on Hands of Stone. Edgar Ramirez uh, in the uh, Roberto Duran story. Mm-hmm. And the lengths that she went to, to to create the ambient sound down in Panama of all the different voices, all the different dialects. Incredible punches on bodies mm-hmm. that are definitely different than punches into punching bags. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, punching in a street is a lot different than punching on a mat in an arena in Vegas. Right. right impeccable balance and design and she by that paula by the way is the mother of dragons she is the woman responsible for the all of the dragon sounds in yeah. game of thrones oh my wow. god <laughs> but she is one of my favorite favorite sound designer and you know i've had so many of the guys from formosa group mm-hmm. on the show tim hoganacher who is the guru of dolby Mm-hmm. Dolby Atmos. That mm-hmm. is Tim is the man. Mm-hmm. He does about eighty five percent of the Dolby sound that's out wow. there today. Okay. Frank Mangini right. has talked about, and Frank's got Oscars. Um, Scott Hecker. So sound is so critical. Oh my yeah. God, yes. You know, sure. especially you know Frank did the Re- the Revenant, and that mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I know you've seen yeah, the Revenant. Yeah, 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 yeah. All yeah. about sound yeah. with the crackle of ice and oh, snow yeah, and right. twigs and the wind and so then yes charles and the bear and the bear so yeah but sound is something 
And see, even in my, I scribbled notes, and I even <laughs> it got a double underline. Luke, come on, yes. it got it got a double underline. Yeah, you know. Well, she has been on hold, has she not? Oh. Kelly called in extra early, didn't she? Well, we're gonna bring we're, we're gonna bring Kelly Smoot Garrett on right. and talk a little about classic film. And yeah. Douglas Swashbuckling Douglas Fairbanks. You remember him, don't you, Charles? <laughs> I remember him well. Uh, he was in my era. Kelly Smoot Garrett, are you there, Kelly? I sure am. How you doing? I am fine. Welcome, welcome to Behind the Lens. It's so good to talk to you again. Yes, thank you for having me. It's fabulous to be here. And you are here. We are joined today. Writer, director, musician, and actor Luke Sabus is here. Actor Charles Gargano is here. And Hello, Kelly. And Hi, Kelly. Hi. And they were they were looking at your beautiful at uh, Letitia's beautiful book before we went on air today. It's great, beautiful book. It's very nice. Yeah, I'm very impressed. And of course, oh, thank you so much. And of course, Charles Charles is, has been around long enough. Charles remembers Douglas Fairbanks. That's so. right. Yeah, I remember well. We've established <laughs> that. <laughs> Just don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and all, my regular listeners, they've already heard Janice Rouse and I, we were just going gaga over Princess April Morning Glory uh, back in August, the last time Janice was here. Yes. And for all of the listeners, you know, tell them, what is the backstory of Princess April Morning Glory? Well, it, um, it began the night... Letitia's uncle, Douglas Fairbanks, died in 1939, and Letitia decided to create a work of art and literature that would be suitable to honor her uncle. And so she began drafting the first copies of Princess April Morning Gloria up, and she began the whole process, and I know one of the questions uh, Jeunesse and you had uh, in August was how long did it take Letitia to lay out and write and calligraphy and illuminate and paint and illustrate the book and it took a, a little under two years for her to do that about 18 months to two years she worked on it steadily from December 1939 when Douglas Fairbanks died through to early 1941, and that's when they took it on its road show at, to New York City and to get it published. Uh, and, I mean, it's, it, that, that is mind-boggling. I think now about authors that, you know, a perfect example, like James Patterson cranks out several books a year. Uh, my friend Lisa Scotolini, Lisa cranks out several books a year now. And you look at something like Princess April Morning Glory, and is there anybody out there today that would have the patience to write a book, illustrate a book, and do go to all the lengths she went to to tell this story? Yes. Well, she was very well schooled in the old crafts of Hollywood, which meant that all the details of any project had to be perfect and hit of historical nature, researched and documented and reproduced in that fashion so that the overall 
film or movie or picture or whatever they were working on was uh, was properly represented. And Letitia did a great deal of research before she ever picked up a pen and began to draw anything. And she went to the um, Huntington Library there in LA and uh, studied the illuminated manuscripts of the medieval ages. And she reproduced a medieval manuscript exactly the way they would have in the 1100s or 1200s. Oh, my God. That's well, impressive. you know, I was telling the boys that, you know, you were kind enough to show me the originals uh, of the enti- the original pages, every single page of this beautiful, beautiful book. And I was telling them her attention to detail, so meticulous with actual little sequins, little jewels on the crowns set in the center of little stars. Just beautiful. And that's the kind of detail I expect to see that on a film produced by Louis B. Mayer. I do not expect to see that by anyone today. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's a bit of a lost art. Um, But Letitia was always reminding me, back in the day, the studios kept complete rosters of plasters, artists, portrait artists. Uh, book binders, uh, seamstresses, you know, along with the obvious set designers and costumers, things like that. But there were all these, uh, there were bricklayers. There were, I mean, there were people who could construct anything and everything that might be wanted on a movie set. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I- she definitely took all those lessons to heart and put them into this book. You know, I'm curious, Kelly, when did you become aware of this book. When did Letitia, you know, show this to you, tell you about it? You know, I'm, I'm curious as to, I was, as to, you know, how that yeah. transpired. Right. So, so my parents divorced when I was quite young, and my father remarried Letitia when I was six. And I met Letitia for the first time when I was four years old. Mm-hmm. And I remember her at that time, reading to me Princess April Morning Glory. She pulled out the original, and she would do this uh, once, at least once a time on one of my trips, and she would read to me the story when I was a little girl. Oh, my God. And it was just the most marvelous, wonderful experience of my life. People ask me, how did I become aware of who Douglas Fairbanks and Mary Pickford was? Mm -hmm. And it's hard for me to remember because they've always been a part of my consciousness Mm -hmm. because they were always a part of Letitia's life. It just, it's the fact that she started reading this to you when you were four years old, this is, and sitting there, I can just imagine you as a four year old turning these big, huge pages Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, yes. of the illuminated, uh, the illuminations. Oh, my God. And that never left you. No, no, it, none of it ever would, because Dad and Letitia's uh, raising of me, although my mother did most of it, my experiences with Dad and Letitia were just so memorable mm-hmm. because they were so completely different than my upbringing in New York City. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, something that... And- it- is so fun about Princess April Morning Glory when we look at the characters 
And, you know, we have Prince Chivalry and we have the Wicked King and we have the Wise Wizard Mm -hmm. and we have the Evil Fairy Misery. Mm -hmm. And all of these Mm -hmm. bear a striking resemblance to classic film stars that we all know and love. Yes. Yeah, can you talk? Oh, Letitia had lots of help in in <laughs> um, in people posing for the characters, and uh, as you and Jeunesse discussed back in August, uh, her cousin Douglas Fairbanks Jr. posed for Prince Chivalry, and he came over with a costume and a sword and adopted oh. a pose. And, wow. Oh, and uh, Luke just happened to turn <laughs> right back to the when page. People didn't wow. draw from still photos. <laughs> Yeah, Luke just happened to turn right to the page of Prince Chivalry. I, I think he's figuring out what he wants to do for his next film. Uh, oh, great. <laughs> you know, so, you know, obviously, and, you know, and Letitia's artwork is so beautiful. Yes, and Charles is looking now. Charles is recognizing, you know, Charles is, you know. But, you know, so, you know, We recognize traits of Douglas Fairbanks Jr. in Prince Chivalry. You know, what about the Wicked King? I I love the king. He yeah, that was that was family friend John Barrymore. That was who and it was also a bit Letitia always said she liked Sam DeGrasse. She felt that he who was one of the silent actors in Douglas Sr.'s films, mm-hmm. uh, she thought Sam DeGrasse always played a great bad guy. Uh, <laughs> but when it came time to draw the the king, she got John Barrymore, who was uh, at that point in her life uh, easier and, and uh, uh, more appropriate to, to get, grab a costume, come over, and, and pose for her. Do you have any idea how long people would pose for her in order to capture the illustration? Um, My sense, I I honestly don't know the answer to that question, but from her stories that she would tell me, I would sense an evening of sketching would serve to capture the, the image and Mm -hmm. the, 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 the pose she wanted. And then, um, and then that was all that was really needed. Mm Mm-hmm. She would she would take it from her sketches from there. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, the pose of Douglas Fairbanks Jr. as Prince Chivalry is just—it's almost as if it's lifted right out of one of his films, and he's right. coming off the off the the movie screen. Yes, yes, it's it's a great action shot. And of course, then she used great made great use of color in in yes, bringing these illustrations did. to life. You know, we have the the beautiful, you know, we have beautiful Princess April Morning Glory who's in these softer pastels and, you know, love in mint greens and, you know, baby pinks. But we have Prince Chivalry who's vibrant in red and purple and, mm-hmm. you know, as and the king also. Now, you know, mm-hmm. we have we have the evil fairy, Misery, who mm-hmm. some people I have read... Uh, believe mm-hmm. it's uh harkens to marlena dietrich luke is yes. ma- luke yes, is looking luke is looking and making a face here he's looking at the picture and uh, charles going could be, could be you know yep you know but it definitely definitely could be and i and and marlena dietrich did play a role in the 
in the family. She dated Doug Jr. Uh, at in the time before this was drawn, in the years just before this was drawn. Uh, and that could have been a possibility, but um, actually the, the fairy, the wicked fairy was uh, based on Letitia's mother, Loree Fairbanks. <laughs> and... Um, and the wise wizard was based on her father, Robert Fairbanks, Douglas's brother. Mm-hmm. And Robert, of course, he went to such great lengths to try and get this book published for Letitia. Uh, yes, sh- well, he was the Fairbanks uh, production manager, family production manager of sorts. I mean, he handled the bulk of uh, Douglas's set designs, engineering uh, mm. needs. Uh, acrobatic stunt design. Uh, he was in, uh, I believe, uh, he was a founding member of the Academy in his own right, mm-hmm. uh, Robert Fairbanks was, as well as, um, I believe he's been credited with developing the role of production manager on the sets. Wow. And uh, uh, so... Um, he had a lengthy history of promoting all sorts of family projects and was equally involved in Letitia's sister Lucille's uh, brief film career and helping her get a start. Wow. And who says nepotism doesn't work? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. Nepotism does work. You know, for you as a young girl and having Letitia as a stepmother with this with this very storied, glamorous, magical Hollywood background and family relations. Did you have any idea, you know, the magnitude of who Douglas Fairbanks, Mary Pickford, Douglas Fairbanks Jr., did you have any idea just how incredible and how important these people were? No, not really. <laughs> not until I started researching and, and working on all of these projects uh, about five wow. years ago. Oh, wow. I mean, yeah. I had a vague awareness of it that I think in general anyone who might have looked at the history of film or knows things about the history of Hollywood might have had. But it was really amazing to me to discover the incredible list of accomplishments that Douglas and Mary made in their lifetimes, mm-hmm. and it was and and really in a career that possibly lasted twenty years at most for both of them, mm-hmm. and uh, that was just full of stunning highlights that were first of of everything. Uh, it's uh, it's a bit like I try and tell younger people that just have no idea about the history of Hollywood. It's a, it, the coming of film to the world was such an introduction of technology, it really can only be described in modern terms, I think, or it's a good parallel, to describe the introduction of um, Steve Jobs introducing the personal computing experience to the world. Right. It was that groundbreaking and game-changing and it changed everything for not just the industry it was in, but all these other related ancillary industries. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and now, it's, I was going to say, Luke, as a director, you know, has is has really got a different pers- uh, has a unique perspective being a director on that. I think that's a very great observation, Kelly, about 
personal computing changing the, the whole landscape in terms of being yeah. able to even make films, sit in your sit in your house and edit. Yeah. That, that world is open. Well, it's up that somewhere. kind of fundamental change. Mm hmm. So, what, what made you decide to bring Princess April Morning Glory to the masses? Well, I, I wanted to do it the moment Letitia died. In 1992, I rushed off to New York City with the original artwork, and I was like, okay, world, here I am. Let's publish it. This book is ready to go. I was quite naive and had no idea about publishing and uh, not just about the, the business world of publishing, but the physical mechanics of publishing, mm -hmm. which were actually quite challenging with this book. And so I've always wanted to do it. That was never in doubt. It was just waiting for things to come together at the right time. And as time progressed, since Letitia's death in 1992, I have met and married my husband, who's a graphic artist uh, known in 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 uh, the music world for his music posters that he drew in the 70s in Austin, Texas. And he has gone on to, to a teaching and academic career, and he developed techniques to actually restore the artwork and remove the bleed-through, because these pages are printed... On the, in the original, they're printed just like an 1100, 1200th century manuscript. Uh, they're printed back to front on the same piece of paper. Mm -hmm. So uh, that bleed-through that happened anytime you shone light on the paper or reflected light through the paper uh, had to be removed. Mm -hmm. And that really took the advent of personal computing and Photoshop mm -hmm. to do that. Mm-hmm. So it couldn't really have been reliably reproduced until about, you know, the late 1990s. Mm -hmm. And I met Danny about that time, and, and we married, and, and uh, we were living in New Zealand. And uh, he had some time on his hands, and, and that's when I said, let's, let's start redoing this artwork. And he started in the process, and it took him about a year to do the initial cleanup of mm -hmm. all 50 pages. Wow. Of course, we're not really going to, we're not going to tell Danny this is really what you had in mind when you married him, <laughs> that this is why you married him. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's figured that out. Oh, well, okay. okay. As long thanks, as, as thanks for keeping it mum. <laughs> <laughs> so, but then it took you, this came out in what, 2012, the book finally came out. 2013. Yeah, 2013. it came out on the 72nd anniversary of the original copyright, which was issued only for the text because there was no way to reproduce the pages. Wow. So now, what? who has the copyright on these lovely illustrations now? Oh, the family. We do. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's, it's remained within the family, yeah. Okay. I just want to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so now, how can everybody get a copy of their own copy of Princess April Morning Glory? Because uh, I know there's the princessapril.com website. There, mm -hmm. I know I've seen the book on available on Amazon. That's the best place. That's, that's the best place. There, there's also a... Um, a, an ebook edition available 
for those that want wow. an ebook edition. And that can be gotten on Amazon as well. Oh. Now, what plan? Now, you're going to be back on the show in November so that we can mm-hmm. encourage people to get this for Christmas gifts. Mm. <laughs> Which I think yeah. So the best way is is to go to Amazon and just enter Princess April Morning Glory, and it will it'll come right up. Now, what kind of plans do you have for Princess April Morning Glory? I know when you and I spoke at the Culver Hotel, we talked. I mean, this would be beautiful as a little series. Are you paying attention, Luke? You're looking for a new project. Um, <laughs> you, you know, I'm trying to work work magic here for both of you guys. Um, <laughs> You're doing a great job. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> you know, do you see this going into a video format or, you know, custom hardback editions or something? Um, oh, any and all of these things are possible. It's And this is why I'm coming back out to L.A. in early 2018 to explore all of these options. Because I sort of think the it's really unlimited and it really depends on who comes up and speaks to me with a, a vision that is interesting and 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 but more than anything gets the message of doing three good deeds out to the world because that's what I want to do is have the larger message. And I think one of the important things I, I want to talk about in, in getting a message of doing three good deeds out is it's not important that anybody know you've done the good deed. It's just important to do it. And, and it's most important to recognize when other people do good deeds rather than trying to tout your own. And this was the way I was always raised, that Dad and Tish always emphasized to me that I needed to make sure that I was always making the world a better place, always leaving it better than I found it, and that to help other people, people and to help your 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 fellow man and men and women in living their lives to their fullest that's one of the best good deeds you can do and, and we need that kind of civility and um respect for one another that i feel has been really lost in this whole modern discourse mm-hmm. and that's that's what i'm looking for projects that will highlight these types of actions, and uh, I'm not sure what form it's going to take, but I think the universe is, is going to ha- have a fun time showing me. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Kelly, we are almost out of time. I can't thank you enough for calling in. You know how much I love talking to you. Mm-hmm. And Oh, well, thank you, Debbie, and thank you, Luke, and... and Charles. Charles. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. Charles, nice. yes. Nice. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, I mean Luke's been sitting here going through the book the whole time you're talking. I think he's fast. I think he's fascinated so with this. Yeah. But Beautiful. so I, well, we will have to catch up, and you will be back in November, Thanksgiving week. Yes, yes, the Monday before yep. Thanksgiving, so everybody can November work on 20th? their on their Black Friday shopping. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to give everybody yes. a heads up then. But, Kelly, thank you so much. In the meantime, anybody, Princess April Morning Glory, find it. Find it on Amazon. Get it. It is charming. It is wonderful. The message is great. And, of course, when you see the video from today's show, Kelly has sent me oodles and oodles of 
<laughs> visuals from the book that Lydia is going to have to edit into the video of today's show so people can really get a feel for the beauty of Princess April Morning Glory. Kelly, thank you so much, my friend. Oh, thank you, Debbie. It's been wonderful. And I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was Kelly Smoot Garrett. So, you know, what do you, what do you guys think of that? Good deeds? I mean, you do good deeds making films. That's Putting true. Charles that's to work. Right. That's right. <laughs> Putting me to work. That's right. I that's think a good so, deed. yes. I think, you know, I think she's right about what she said is, you know, putting the good deeds out there is the best thing we can all do. I look through this book and I I think virtual reality as far as a way of. of Well, and you know, Luke, because I love and adore you, you get you can have this copy of Princess April Morning Glory. Oh, my God. To you, though, isn't it? No, I don't don't want to steal you. Oh, <laughs> I don't want. To I didn't even know that. Look at <laughs> oh that! I should have just took it. Oh, fine. Well, that's okay. okay. I have another one at home. Okay, I'll give you the other. I'll, so that because yeah, I could yeah. see this uh, in virtual reality. Yeah, yeah no, yeah, just yeah. the whole idea and hearing her talk about it and right. stuff. It, it's just it seems a medium made made for it or to take it to another level. Yeah, right. And I know that was something we talked about in August when oh. when she we were at the Culver Hotel. Okay. Because I met her at the Alicia Mayer event that we had. Um, but we sat down and we were talking about, and she is so open to ideas because mm. she knows there's such a potential yeah, yeah. here. It seems like it would be a, a way of bridging those original prints that you were speaking of and right. what, what I'm looking at right here. Yeah, it's very, because the originals, they are, they're breathtaking. And I can understand the problems with technology sure. yeah. of putting yeah. them you know, on back-to-back because all the originals are on single parchment. Mm -hmm. So when you try, the bleed-through would be, I could just imagine what what Danny went through (laughs) trying to clean that up. But another good deed that people can do right now, um, they can log on to Amazon and buy a copy of (laughs) Missing Child. That's right. (laughs) <laughs> it's available on Amazon. Yes, Where else can people uh, pick it up? It's also from our website. We oh, well, there. give us and the website. Oh, it's uh, oh. mi- missingchild-movie.com. Uh, .com. It's uh yeah, it's it's there and uh and and on Amazon as well. Along and with w- the web series. The web series, the long awaited right. web series, which yes. is free. <laughs> yes. Yes, <laughs> you have is. to pay for the Blu-ray. Yes. Or you have to pay for the DVD. <laughs> Correct. But right. for my money, I think the Blu-ray is the way to go because it has more extras mm-hmm. and stuff. Correct. Right. And it has Ghost Tenant on it. Has See, Ghost Tenant, yes. Yes, and Ghost Tenant, you will all Ghost Tenant is I I want to see that made into a feature. Yeah. Or a web series. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm exploring a lot of possibilities with it. I could actually see, actually, as like, um, as a series of some kind, like a continuing story. But um, you know, kind of looking into all the things, also, and like I said before, virtual reality. That avenue, yes, it, it interests me a lot, and it would work well with, um, with Ghost Tenant. So. Well, and sadly. We're all out of time for today. Oh, no. The whole oh, show. Well, We're uh, done. Guys, you. Charles, Luke, thank, thank, you, you, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Debbie. I don't thank want you. it to be two years before you come back again. Yeah, yes, yes. We'll do it again thank soon. You. We have to. All right. So that is it for today. I'm Debbie Elias, and this is Behind the Lens. Yeah.